Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. Good morning, church family. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving celebration. Uh, hopefully you were able to see some family. Uh, I know it's a, it's a lot different than normal this year with the restrictions and all that, but uh, I hope you had a really great, restful, peaceful Thanksgiving with friends and family. I hope you had plenty to eat, but most of all, I hope you thought about at some point during the day what you are thankful for. I know for our family, it was just us four, and uh, when we sat down to, to eat, our conversation was all about what we were thankful for, and so we just went and took turns and went one by one and, and just kind of reiterated and shared from our heart what we were thankful for, what God had done for us this year, and what our heart of gratitude, you know, kind of meant for each other. And so it was a really great time around the table to sit and just kind of discuss and talk about all that God did this year and, and all of the little things that we're grateful for. Sometimes uh, we only think about the big things, but there are so many day in and day outs and the ordinary mundane things of life that, man, we just take for granted. And so it's it's good to remind ourselves why we're thankful and remind ourselves of the little things God does for us. And on top of that, my family and I had a double blessing for Thanksgiving. It also was Boston's 10th birthday. So every five years, his birthday lambs on Thanksgiving. And so we had a double blessing. We were able to also celebrate him as well. So it was a re- we had a really, really great time and, and uh, can't believe Boston is 10 years old. It's like time flies, right? And so, uh, but we, we had a great time celebrating that. So Priscilla, she went all out on the food this year. She started cooking at six in the morning and just, she just like did such a great job. She made turkey, she made green bean casserole, mashed potatoes, mac and cheese, and then cranberry apple pie. All of it was absolutely delicious. And and plus Boston's birthday cake. So I want to look at uh, probably the most famous of all of Jesus's parables today. It's probably between this one and the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, we're going to look at the parable of the prodigal son. But I'm going to attempt to teach on it through the lens of thankfulness. This this parable right here that is found in Luke chapter 15, there are so many nuggets in it. You can take so many angles. You can take different characters and preach on them. You, you can just spend a lot of time preaching on this one parable here, but I want to look at it through the lens of Thanksgiving since we are just now celebrating Thanksgiving. So, The background to the parable, as you can read for yourself in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, is that Jesus was surrounded by sinners and tax collectors and people with not so good of reputation. And he was also with Pharisees and scribes and religious people. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they were complaining to Jesus that he was spending time with wicked people. He was spending time with people that didn't have the best of reputation. They were a little bit sketchy. And so they were complaining that Jesus, who claimed to be a rabbi and he was a holy man, he was a teacher, he taught you know all of these different things. He taught morality 
And then they, they said, but you do all these things, but then you spend time with these types of people. And so they were complaining. And so uh, when so in that background and in response to the religious folk here, Jesus goes into three parables, the, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the prodigal son. And so that is the backdrop into which Jesus is speaking on this parable. And it's important, it's really important to understand this because most of the time when we talk about this parable, we're preaching and speaking and teaching to the younger son. Yet Jesus was actually responding to people that would more relate to the elder brother. And so I'm going to break all of that down and unpack that for us today. But it's uh, it's important that we understand who Jesus is speaking to as he shares this parable. So Luke chapter 15, starting with verse number 11. Then he said, this is Jesus, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Father, I just pray that you would anoint this word. I pray that you would speak to everyone listening. Holy Spirit, just touch our hearts and impact our hearts today. Illuminate your word in Jesus' name. Amen. The younger brother in this parable goes to his father and asks for his inheritance. This was actually an incredibly scandalous thing for this son to do in a patriarchal Middle Eastern family. Uh, the son was not entitled to any of his inheritance while his father was still alive. Asking for his inheritance while his father was still alive was deeply, deeply disrespectful in that culture at that time. He was essentially saying to his father when he asked for his inheritance early, I wish you were dead already. That's how deeply disrespectful what the younger son did was. Craig Keener in his commentary about this passage says this, a not unusual response would have been for the father to disinherit the son. That the father grants the request means that most of the hearers will not identify with the father in this parable. From the start, they would think of him as stupidly lax to pamper such an immoral son. Presumably, most hearers do not realize at the beginning that Jesus is depicting God's mercy toward them. The father's response to his son is just as startling as the son's request to the father, a culture that was high on honor and obedience to the patriarch of the family. The wealth of the father would have been primarily in real estate, so his father would have had to sell off a large portion of his property in order to give his son an inheritance. So this was a big deal. This was not just, just you know, give me whatever's in your pocket. No, the father had to go through much trouble, sell off part of his estate, right, that he would never be able to get back and, and get the money liquidated in order to give it to his son. Tim Keller says this in his book, Prodigal God, most of Jesus's listeners would have never seen a Middle Eastern patriarch respond like this. The father patiently endures a tremendous loss of honor as well as the pain 
of rejected love. Pastor John MacArthur in his commentary explained it this way. This act, meaning the father giving his son his inheritance early, pictures all sinners related to God the Father by creation who waste their potential privileges and refuse any relationship with him, choosing instead a life of sinful self-indulgence. Every single one of us can relate to the younger brother because we have all rejected the love of God before he graciously drew us back to him and saved us by his grace and through his love. Paul tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all chosen our own sinful desires above God's desires for us at some point in our lives. We've all essentially asked for our inheritance early, just like the younger son did. Even after we have been saved, there are times and even seasons when we have all chosen to fulfill our own sinful desires instead of obedience to the Father. All of us have done this even after we're saved, even after we've tasted the goodness of God, we go to our old life. We go and fall back. We go and backslide. We go and indulge in our selfish ways and in our uh, selfish desires. And, and, and we erect idols at times. We all do this at times because we are not perfect and and, and, and we all have a flesh, and we're all flawed. But why do people choose this younger brother path in their lives? I think it boils down to selfish desire. We cave into our selfish, sensual cravings, desires, and wants. We put me first, right? We don't care what this request does to our family, our father's reputation, or other people's happiness. We want what we want and we'll do whatever we need to do to get it. Listen to James chapter 1, 13 through 15 in Eugene Peterson's translation, the message. It, it says this, Don't let anyone under pressure to give in to evil say, God is trying to trip me up. God is impervious to evil and puts evil in no one's way. The temptation to give in to evil comes from us and only us. We have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own lust. Lust gets pregnant and has a baby. Sin. Sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer. I think one of the things readers miss in the story is the absence of gratitude within both brothers in the story and how that impacts their personal journey, how that impacts their formation, how that impacts their relationship to the Father. And so what I want to do is I want to pull out three things about thankfulness from this story for us to look at. So number one, a thankful heart resists selfishness. A thankful heart resists selfishness. Gratitude is a resisting presence to selfishness. The younger brother was acting out in absolute selfishness in this story. He didn't appreciate or value the way his father was providing for him. It wasn't enough. And when we're not grateful, nothing is ever enough. We always find holes in however God is providing for us. He doesn't provide for us the way we want him to. He doesn't provide for us in the volume we want him to. 
He doesn't provide us in the avenues that we want him to. And so when, when we have an, ingrateful heart, an ungrateful heart, we, we complain and we're not satisfied and we're not fulfilled with the way that God is providing for us. His provision is never good enough. Ingratitude produces discontentment and impatience, right? The younger brother wanted his unentitled inheritance now. An inheritance he wasn't even entitled to. He wanted it and demanded it right away. The younger brother represented the tax collectors and sinners who were listening to Jesus' parable at the time. He represents folks who pursue happiness through self-discovery. They indulge in any and all of their appetites in hopes of finding fulfillment. I know you and I, we all know people that are involved in this kind of life, right? Individual self-discovery is their idol. It's more important than relationships. It's more important than uh, what God has for their lives. It's more important than community standards. Self-discovery, individual self-discovery is the highest priority in this person's life. It's whatever I feel will make me happy is my right to pursue regardless of how destructive or unhealthy it might be. And if you tell me that what I'm doing is wrong, then you are a bigot and, that, and, then, and you don't truly love me, right? This way of life is birthed out of a lack of gratitude towards how their heavenly father has provided for them. Let's continue reading uh, verse 14. But when he, the prodigal son, had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, or the NIV says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to be merry. The second thing that I want to talk to you about when it comes to a thankful heart is this. A thankful heart resists harshness. A thankful heart resists harshness. The younger brother was, was just grateful to be allowed back into his father's house. He didn't come with demands. He didn't come and say, I want this position, that position. I want my room back. I want my allowance. I want all. He didn't come with any demands. He came back with humility and brokenness. He came back asking to be a hired servant in his father's house because that was better 
than where he was currently living when as he was living this prodigal lifestyle where he squandered everything in loose living, where he wasted everything, where he spent a luxuriant and extravagant amount on, on worthless, worthless things trying to discover who he was. Sitting in that pig pen, lusting after the pig's food, had done something to the heart of the younger brother. It's that famous saying, you don't know what you have until it's already gone. I think that's the place this younger son had gotten into. He realized how good he had it at his father's house. He realized how safe and secure he was at his father's house. He realized what true love and what real covenant relationship looked like. Because after he spent all his money, notice no one came to help the son. He took for granted his father's house until his decisions alienated him from the father. A truly thankful heart is born out of understanding the depths of lostness we were in before Christ found us. That's where a grateful, thankful heart flows from, knowing how lost you were before Jesus found you. I'm reminded of the story of when Jesus was dining in the home of a Pharisee, and, and a woman from the city who was a sinner barges in. She has this expensive flask of perfume. She breaks it on the ground, pours it on Jesus' feet, and she's crying and, and worshiping Jesus and she wipes the perfume with her hair. And both the Pharisees and the disciples were incensed that this woman would waste such an expensive perfume just to pour it on someone's feet. And they said, why would this woman do that? Why would you do that? Why would you waste all this money? You could have sold that perfume and gave it to the poor. And Jesus responded to them by saying, the reason this woman is expressing such a lavish love towards me is because she understands the depth of forgiveness that she has received for her sin. She understands the depths of where she came from, the depths of lostness. She understands the, the deliverance and freedom she is now experiencing is because of Jesus. And so she wanted to worship him. And it didn't matter how much money it costed she wanted to show Jesus her love and her devotion and her gratitude for him. And Jesus goes on to say to these Pharisees and disciples who are incensed, he who is forgiven much loves much. Jesus tells us in verse 13 that the younger brother had wasted his possessions with prodigal living. The word prodigal here means reckless, senseless living, spent everything, wasteful, luxurious, wild. It refers to an utterly sexually immoral lifestyle, complete and utter self-indulgence. Yet the father doesn't come out and beat him over the head and yell, I told you so. I told you if you would leave my house, you'd be begging back to come in. I told you you were going to waste it all. I told you your friends were going to leave you once your money ran out. He doesn't respond with the harshness that you would expect. He doesn't respond with, with the harshness that maybe you or I would have responded to our children with. He doesn't make him pay for his bad decisions. He doesn't make him jump through any hoops. In fact, Jesus tells us that when the father saw the son, he ran to meet him. 
This is significant because in those days, a distinguished Middle Eastern father would never run. Children might run, women might run, young men might run, but not the father, the owner of the large estate, a pillar in the community. He would not pick up his robe and show his legs like some boy would have done. He would not have done something like that. Yet he runs, falls on his neck, and kisses him, expressing deep, sincere emotion. You can tell the son's heart had changed because he came back to the father's house with a completely different tone from which he left his father's house from, right? He said, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. When you and I are thoughtful and grateful for what we have or what use, what we used to have before we squandered it, it resists the harshness of other people. If your boss knows you are grateful for your job, I promise you they will be less harsh towards you when you mess up than if you come into work every day with a bad attitude. If you just come into work, just mean to everybody, rude to everybody, uh, have an attitude towards everybody, I promise you, your boss will respond to you differently than if you come into work just grateful for having a job, grateful for having a paycheck, grateful for being a part of the company that you're a part of. Children who are grateful for what their parents do to provide for them are way more likely to receive more generosity from their parents than do entitled children who demand from their parents. That's just the truth in my home. For sure, that's the truth. It's just the way humans are wired. We are way more soft-hearted towards a person who is thankful for our relationship and value us than someone that takes us for granted. Let's continue reading in the story, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fattened calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, doesn't even call him his brother, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. The third observation that I want to give you about a thankful heart from this story is this. A thankful heart resists the dark hole of comparison. A thankful heart resists the deep, dark hole of comparison, the comparison trap. We are now introduced to another character in this story, the elder brother. We see that he was clearly not happy with the younger brother returning and the father welcoming him back and throwing a celebratory party for him after all he had done. The elder brother struggled with comparison and cynicism. These were folks who, uh, the, the elder brother represented the Pharisees and the scribes that were listening to Jesus at the time. People who pursued happiness through moral conformity. These are the people who feel entitled to God's blessing through following the rules strictly and rigidly. The Pharisees and religious folks surrounding Jesus thought they were saved because of their strict adherence to the Torah, 
yet they were also in need of repentance, repentance for confidence in their own righteousness. What the Pharisees did not understand as they were surrounding Jesus in this moment was that they were just as lost as the tax collectors and sinners. They were inwardly lost, while the sinners and tax collectors you could see were outwardly lost. The lack of gratitude towards his father's generosity to his brother keeps the elder brother from entering into the feast. A small detail I failed to notice up until this week was that when the younger brother asked for his inheritance, the father actually divided the inheritance right then and there. And so the elder brother already had his inheritance. And, and during that time, in, 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 uh, in, in that ancient Middle Eastern uh, culture, uh, the elder eldest brother would get two-thirds of the inheritance and, and, and everybody else would, would get one-third. And so at that moment, the, the father sold off a third of the property, gave him the liquid assets, and then, and then gave his brother everything else. So everything else was already given to the brother in this moment. So it's not like the older brother's inheritance was threatened. He had already received it. Yet, I don't think he was thankful to his father. He probably resented his father for liquidating a third of his assets and allowing his younger brother to squander it. Answering, giving in to the younger brother's request. It probably created animosity and resentment towards his father. The elder brother's comparison to the younger brother created animosity in his heart towards him, which kept him from going into the feast and alienated him from the father. Verse 29 describes it. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed or disobeyed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. The New Testament for everyone says it this way. Look here, he said to his father, I've been slaving for you all these years. I've never disobeyed a single commandment of yours. And you never even gave me a young goat, so I could have a party with my friend. You can hear the attitude. You can hear the resentment. You can hear the bitterness in these words. You can hear the self-righteousness through these words. I love what Tim Keller says about this verse. It is an arrow that pierces the heart. He says this, The elder brother is not losing the father's love in spite of his goodness, but because of it. It is not his sins that create the barrier between him and his father. It's the pride he has in his moral record. It's not his wrongdoing, but his righteousness that is keeping him from sharing in the feast of the father. At this point, you can just hear the cynicism in his voice, can't you? Verse 30, he says this, But as soon as this son of yours came, but as soon as this son of yours, not my brother, but this son of yours, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. A standard MO of the New Yorker is cynicism, isn't it? Right? Like, in fact, some would argue that it's almost impossible to be a long-term New Yorker without being cynical. Maybe some of you New York City transplants, like, like our family, have experienced this. You move to the city with a fresh dream and exciting vision for the future until you meet a New Yorker who thinks they're responsible to strip you 
of your naivety, naivety, however you say that word, and douse you with a dose of reality, right? Uh, Like you think you're going to make it here. Don't you know a studio apartment costs $3,000 a month? You aren't going to make it here. You're you're an up-and-coming actor for Broadway. Don't you know thousands of other people come to the city for just the same thing? You're not going to make it here. You want to start a church here? Don't you know that New York City is a post-Christian city? They're not interested in Christianity. They're not interested in church. They're not interested in what you have. This brother was probably like, you think this son of yours is going to be genuine? He just came back because he lost everything. As soon as he starts collecting from you again, he's going to leave again. He's just here because he doesn't have anything. And so he doesn't have money left to party and squander. So he came back here. He won't stay. You think he's going to stay? He's not going to stay. His heart was so full of cynicism that he couldn't even be happy for his brother. The fact that his brother wasn't dead somewhere. The fact that his brother didn't overdose. The fact that his brother wasn't murdered. The fact that his brother didn't kill himself out there in the way he was living his life. He wasn't even happy for his brother. He was angry. He was cynical. He was bitter. Has your heart ever sunk when you heard the news of how someone else was blessed? Has your heart ever sunk when you heard the news of someone, maybe a friend, maybe a family member, maybe a coworker, maybe a classmate, has your heart ever sunk? Maybe you tried out for the play at school when you were younger. You tried out for a certain part. You had memorized all the lines. You thought you were perfect for the part. And they cast someone else in that part and gave you a, a lesser role. And your heart just sunk. Maybe you were trying out for the basketball team and you had practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. You were shooting hoops. Uh, in 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 the yard and, and you were practicing your dribbling and you worked so hard you were watching YouTube videos and then they picked someone else to be the starter and you were riding the bench and your heart just sunk when you saw who was picked as the starter. I know my heart has. I, I remember uh, our senior year of Bible school um, at our graduation. Every year at graduation, one senior was picked to do kind of the, the to represent the class and and do kind of a valedictorian type of, of speech. And, and I felt like I had really excelled my senior year. I felt like I was doing really well. I felt like I could represent my class well, and then they picked someone else. And I really, the thing is, I really loved the person that was picked. And part of my heart was thankful and excited for them, but another part of my heart sunk because I wished I could have represented my class in, in, in our graduation. And, and and so I was having to fight these thoughts of of being um, uh, being excited and joyous for this person, as well as as feeling like God, why didn't I get picked? Why couldn't I have done this? Maybe in your own life, your inability to be thankful for someone else's blessing and success is keeping you alienated from the Father. While the prodigal son disrespected his father to get what he wanted. The elder brother respected his father to try to get what he wanted. I'm having trouble hearing you. Okay, Siri, because I'm not talking to you. Anyways, he, let's see how the father responded to the elder brother in verse number 31. Um, and he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. Verse 32, 
it was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is a, and is alive again and was lost and is found the the older brother felt entitled to a party of his own because he had always obeyed the father and stayed when his little brother had left to go party and be wild yet his dad explained to him son you're always with me and everything you see it's all yours but your brother was lost and now he's found he's he we we thought he was dead but he is alive right let me ask you a question is your obedience to the father out of self-interest or thankfulness is your obedience to the father out of your own self-interest or is it out of a grateful thankful heart many christians obey god because they will subconsciously believe that God will owe them something, like answered prayers or breakthrough or things going their way. And when we predominantly obey for this reason only, our obedience is impure and tainted. It's not genuine. It's not authentic, right? When we obey for this reason, when God doesn't answer our prayers in the way we want, we are crushed and start to even resent God. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're resentful towards God because things haven't gone the way uh, you you had hoped and prayed for. And, and you're like, God, I obey you. God, I serve you. God, I do all of these things. Why aren't you doing what I want you to do? But when we obey out of a grateful heart that though we are sinners, he still welcomes us into his family, then our obedience is genuine. Then our obedience is authentic. Jesus then just abruptly ends the story that way. We know that the younger brother repented and, and came back to the father's house, but what we don't know is what happened with the elder brother. In Prodigal God, Tim Keller talks about the account of Edmund Clowney, who recounts the true story of a young man who was a U.S. soldier missing in action during the Vietnam War. When the family could get no word of him through any official channel, the older son flew to Vietnam and, risking his life, searched the jungles and the battlefields for his lost brother. It's said that despite the danger, he was never hurt because those on both sides had heard of his dedication and respected his quest. Some of them called him simply the brother. Tim Keller says this is what the elder brother in the parable should have done. This is what a true elder brother would have done. He would have said, Father, my younger brother has been a fool and now his life is in ruins but I will go look for him and bring him home. And if the inheritance is gone, as I expect, I'll bring him back into the family at my expense. What does this mean? There was no way for the younger brother to come back to the father's house without the elder brother absorbing the cost. Forgiveness and salvation are free for us because it cost the true elder brother, Jesus, everything. Jesus left the Father's house in heaven and came to the earth to rescue us while you and I were in the pig pen, while you and I were lusting after the food of pigs, while you and I had squandered all of our Father's inheritance in wild and loose and sinful and selfish living. Jesus left the Father's house to come find us and rescue us. He gave his life for us so that we could experience eternal life with the Father. The younger brother in Jesus' story didn't have a true elder brother. Instead, 
he got a Pharisee. He got someone that looked down on him. He got someone that didn't step foot out of his father's house to go rescue him. He got someone that was cynical and negative towards him. But you and I have a true and good and faithful elder brother, one who shed his perfect blood on the cross and took our place because of his love for us. That, my friends, is amazing. This story is amazing. It's, it's just an incredible, incredible story that Jesus, that only Jesus could tell. And it is a powerful story of thankfulness. It's a powerful story of the consequences of ungratefulness. And so as we have finished up Thanksgiving, I want to challenge you to continue to think about the things that you are grateful for and thankful for. This week, I took out my notebook and, and I just started writing. I took about 15 to 20 minutes and just listed everything that I was thankful for. Man, it'll give you a different perspective. Man, it'll open your eyes. It, it, it will cause the fog of negativity and cynicism and, 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 and resentment and all that. It, it, will, it will help lift that off of you when you start to list the things you are thankful for and you can start looking through all of the things all of the little things, your ability to breathe, right? Uh, a roof over your head, food to eat, a vehicle, a, a way to get around, good health, all of these things that we just take for granted when we write them down and we can see them. Man, it changes our perspective, especially if we're going through a difficult time. And so I want to encourage you to do that this week. Take some time. Take some time to be by yourself. Take some time to get into a quiet spot and just list. Start listing the things you're grateful for. I promise you, it'll break, it'll break ungratefulness, the, just the cloud, the fog, the heaviness of ungratefulness and negativity and cynicism. It'll break it off of you as, you as you start to write. It's a prophetic act saying, I'm going through so much right now, but I am choosing to look at the things that I am grateful for. And I promise you, it'll do something in your life in a great, great way. Let's pray. Thank you for being with us at TGP NYC. You can listen to other sermons on Spotify or wherever else podcasts are available. For further details about The Grace Place, please visit tgp.nyc.